Hi, welcome back. I'm Similana, and this is the Judaism From Within podcast. We are continuing our journey through Chorev, Rav Shamshan Rafal Hirsch's magnum opus, where he goes through the commandments in the Torah, and now we're up to counting the Oimer, the mitzvah to count the Oimer. And I'm going to approach this on, because when the Oimer comes to mind, or when comes in conversation, two ideas spring to mind. The first is the basic structure of the commandment. From Pesach to Shavuos, we count the Oimer, we count the days up, in a similar way from when we count from Shabbos. We say we don't count from Shabbos. Well, we actually do. That's why within, in, a, in, in an ideal sense, we count not Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. We count Yom Rishon, Yom Sheni, Yom Shlishi. These are counting from the days of Shabbos. In a similar way, we do that with Pesach. From Pesach, we count one, two, three, and so on. And each week of chunk of seven, we remember the week and then continue counting. That's the commandment to count the Oimer. Now, the reason for this commandment is twofold. But there's more to it than that. Because when we think about the Oimer, it's not only the positive, transformative aspect to it that comes to mind. There's also the negative, the aspect of mourning that is relevant. Because during the time of the Oimer, there is a semblance of the laws of mourning in place. We don't have weddings during this time. We don't listen to music. We don't trim our beards to to portray a certain outward appearance of mourning. Why is this the case? But not only why is it the case from a historical standpoint, why is it the case that it has a transformative effect on our lives, where the idea and the message is relevant? What I'd like to do with part one is start with a negative. When people come to the Oimer, even at times people forget to count the Oimer and then they don't do it with a bracha anymore. But they still don't listen to music and they still won't trim their beards. That's why if you're around Orthodox Jews, you'll see they've got a bit of a, a beard going on if they, generally speaking, wouldn't do. Of course, there are circumstances where people will obviously shave for work or embarrassment, whatever it may be. But in general, men don't shave. They don't trim their beards and they don't cut their hair, for example, and the entirety of the Jewish community will refrain from listening to music. So why is this the case? Why is there this element of mourning? Because it is quite separate from what we're going to discuss in the next episode. In the next episode, we're going to discuss the aspect of counting of the Oimer, which arises on both the agricultural front, as well as the more, let's call it, moral or spiritual front, either counting from the barley offering, which is where the idea of Oimer comes from, counting up to the harvest, or counting from the time of our freedom to the time of our mission. That we will develop next week. Let's think about the aspect of mourning during this time, because it is closely related to how we approach a key principle in our lives, and it gives over the message in a unique way. The idea of the Torah. And in this way, the two, let's call them paths, the first path, the path of Shavuos, and the second path, the path of mourning and the perhaps negative message, they both center around the idea of the Tyra. How so? We mourn during this time, not actively obviously, but there is a certain aspect of sadness now, because as the Talmud records, Rabbi Akiva, who was one of the greatest of the Jewish sages, 24,000 of his students perished over this time. It was a massive tragedy. And the reasons that were given to it or the message that was taken away from such a tragedy was that 
in some way, they lacked respect for their fellow. In some way, they didn't respect the learning, the studying of their friends. They were jealous of what they had accomplished. And in a broader sense, they didn't translate the abstraction into lived experience. Studying Torah is a key value in the Jewish tradition, but there is something very toxic and very polluted if it doesn't translate into how you act in the world. And the way Rav Hirsch describes it, he sees it as, as a lack of love for the very thing they had dedicated their lives to. If you can look at a person who you, like yourself, is studying Tyra, and you cannot look at him with love, then that reflects on the lack of love for the very thing you're studying. Because they're supposed to embody it. You're supposed to embody it. And that lack of love you can have for them is a lack of love that translates on the very thing that you've dedicated your life to. And these were the students of the greatest sage of the time. And that tragedy of how the Tyra can't play itself out in people's lives is something that has to be mourned, has to be reflected on. How we as people should study Tyra, but it should have a transformative effect. And if it doesn't, there's something very dark about that. It reminds me of a discussion Rav Hirsch has when he, this is obviously a longer symbolic structure that he develops about the Leviathan, otherwise known as the Leviathan, and how the prophets describe a coiled serpent and a straight serpent. Now, the serpent is a symbol, a metaphor for a certain type of nation, and Rav Hirsch identifies the coiled being cunning and the straight being raw power, and how the Medrash describes that one was castrated and one was killed, to never allow these two powers to meet. But Rav Hirsch goes on a tangent to describe that when we see raw power being used, there's a certain grandeur that comes along with that. There's a certain grandeur that comes along with power. Even when it's being used for evil, there's something that comes along with a nation. Even that nation can be bad and can give uh, meet out atrocities. There's something at the same time that comes along that the people of that nation can still look at it with glory and, and honor and... But when it comes to the character trait of cunning, which is a more spiritual character trait than raw power, cunning, intelligence, subterfuge, there's something that relies on the other, that relies to divert attention. Rav Hirsch looks at this as being a more of a, a spiritual quality. It relies on interaction. It relies on trust. It relies on those qualities that should be good, but then it twists them. And there's something very dark and very repulsive about that. The almost hijacking religion, hijacking the Tyra to meet out something dark. And in a similar way, when we reflect on the 24,000 students that used the Tyra, that involved themselves in it, but didn't let it change them. But worse than that, it lived out in their lives in a dark way. There's something very tragic about that. The very thing that was supposed to change them for the good was the very thing that caused them, that allowed them to act in jealousy towards their friend. And that idea of how Tyra can be misused or how the Tyra cannot affect one is something we have to have at the forefront of our minds. But Rav Hirsch also talks about the other idea. So we have the idea of the Tyra not making an impact. But there's another aspect to this story. A thousand years later, Rav Hirsch describes the Crusades. This time of mourning is also commemorating those people, but this is in a more positive sense. There were people who were willing to die, 
there were people who were willing to martyr themselves rather than give up their tire, rather than giving up the very thing that they looked at as being their breath of life. They were willing to give up life itself rather than desecrate the tire, to give up their way of life, rather than taking their tire and casting it aside. They held on to their tire at the cost of their lives, the butcherism and the barbarism that was the Crusades. And we mourn this time, but we focus on what people were willing to do. We can hold both those almost paradoxical concepts at the same time. Yes, it was a tragedy, but through that tragedy, we can see heroism. And through that heroism, we can be built. Through that heroism, we can take heart. And just as a side point, we're coming to Yom Hashar this week. And a similar sort of message can be given as well, because Yom Hashar is a time people remember the Holocaust. The Holocaust is a dark time, but we can take heart. We can remember the stories. We can remember the people. We can remember the acts of heroism. We can remember what people did, what people were able to do to hold on to their lives, their family, their values. And we can take heart and we can take confidence and we can take message and we can take role models from the darkest times. On the one side, we remember the darkness. We remember the darkness and the evil that was mit out. We remember what the human personality is capable of and we have to be on guard of that. But we can also at the same time see the light that was shining at that awfully dark time. So, in a similar way, we mourn this time. We mourn this time to remember a danger, that we allow our tyra and our studying to become part of us. But we also mourn this time to remember the tragedies that struck our people. But at the same time, in a way, we can look at that and see there is what to be learned. There are people who acted in a way that we can say they allowed their way of life to become part of them to the extent that they were willing to give up life itself then desecrate this noble mission. Have a wonderful week and thank you for listening.